is it worth the time investment? Think of the thousands of hours, man. I would be worth 10 times what I am today if I had not built this audience and instead had just done SEO for mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years. No, no doubt in my mind. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I meet stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. In this episode, I'm joined by Rob Walling, who is an absolute legend in the bootstrapping and indie scene. He's a veteran entrepreneur with his most notable exit being Drip in 2016. Rob also founded MicroConf, started Tiny Seed, and is the host of the Startups for the Rest of Us podcast, which has over 680 episodes having started in 2010. It doesn't stop there for Rob. He's also written four books, Start Small, Stay Small, Start Marketing the Day You Start Coding, The Entrepreneur entrepreneur's guide to keeping your shit together and most recently the SaaS playbook. Before we get into this conversation, a quick thank you to IndieByte sponsor Email Octopus. Email Octopus are an indie email marketing platform built to support other small growing businesses like yours. They're focused on affordability and ease of use, which is perfect when you're starting out as a bootstrapper. Email Octopus contains all of the features you need to reach and grow your audience. And you can start today without paying a penny on their free plan where you can contact up to 2,500 subscribers. To try Email Octopus, head to emailoctopus.com or hit the link in the show notes. Now, Rob and I chatted for an hour and covered topics such as podcasting, being a creator, funding communities, unlearning bad habits from VC, and I just couldn't fit all this into a 15-minute episode. The best bits are in here, but I have released a full hour-long chat on the IndieBytes membership, which you can get access for for $60 a year. Go to indiebytes.com slash membership or hit the link in the show notes. Let's get into this conversation. Thank you for coming on this episode of Indie Bites. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me, man. Let's go back a little bit. I don't know, like, how far back do we go to talk through everything you've done? But when I was looking into you, I was interested to hear that after you sold Drip, which was your big SaaS exit, you decided, that's it for me. No more SaaS. Not going to do another one. I listened to a podcast where you said, I've, I've learned what I came here to learn. But you're teaching people SaaS, which is something that you wouldn't do again how do people avoid that same feeling that you had Mm, by not burning out because that's what well there was two things number one i am a perpetual kind of what's next what's next what's next person and i get bored with things at about two years and i have to figure out a way to to make things feel new and make things feel challenging to me and that's what like tiny seed has done is we fund it's a venture fund we fund bootstrap SaaS, and we funded 131 companies and every new batch we do i have these new challenges and i'm learning about new companies and i'm mm-hmm. learning about new founders and i'm seeing exits and i'm seeing lawsuits and i'm seeing hacks and i'm seeing the good the amazing and the bad and i'm able to kind of live vicariously there i would say for a founder today like I think most of us are looking for freedom is probably the number one thing. But once you achieve that, you then stand on top of a mountain and you have, you kind of have a what's next feeling. So I think once you've achieved freedom as an entrepreneur, I think you do have to do quite a bit of introspection and ask yourself, what drives me? What does motivate me? Some people it's learning and creating. That's mine. Other people it's achievement. That's different. Other people it's Mm. purely just money. They'll just keep doing money, 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 money. That's fine. That's their motivation. It's just different. But Doing some introspection, I think, is a big, a big part of learning your own motivations. And until you know truly your own motivations, you're probably going to have some struggles over the years because you're because you're just not aware of of what really motivates you. What would an alternative reality look like for you, Rob? If after you'd sold Drip, you then sold the podcast and MicroConf, what do you think you'd be doing? So I almost did. It's a funny question, but like, yeah, we got a cash offer. 
this is back when I had a co-host on the podcast, but we got a cash offer for microconf specific, a seven figure cash offer. And I was free of all my responsibilities. And I was like semi-retired, you know, and, and hanging out. I was like, I don't have to work again. This would be nice to get more cash. And I was just trying to figure out what that was. I think I would do something in the, it was, it would be a hobby, right? It, well, I would, here's what I, <laughs> I blessing and curse. I turn my hobbies into businesses. That's what I would try to do. Don't we all, Rob? Don't we, we do. All. Sometimes to our detriment. So I loved, I play the guitar and I play a ton of tabletop role-playing games and just tabletop bunch of board games and stuff the pretty sophisticated hard hard to learn ones that my kid has to teach me i think i would do something in that space which economically is a terrible space so the margins are low it, it you have inventory the shipping's high, you know just everything's complicated about it but it's something that like after we get off this podcast if i have a few minutes i'm going to jump on youtube and like watch people like unboxing board games and pulling the pieces out you know and like showing how they work and it's that's just the kind of weird thing that i like i guess you don't look back on that on any regrets you feel like you've made the right decision there yeah i mean i had a big kind of reckoning where i was gonna i was gonna make an offer on the number two like tabletop gaming board gaming website and i just had this moment i did a founder retreat i left for two and a half days and i asked myself all these questions of like what have i loved doing what have i done for free forever what what is truly a hobby that has you know lived with me for years and years, had an interest in entrepreneurship since I was a kid, all that. And I was like, why would I walk away from this thing that I built? Like this is, I, I realized this is probably my legacy on this earth. And so that was the moment that I doubled down. That's when I said, there needs to be a fund in this space. And that's when kind of tiny seeds started germinating. Yeah, your, your answer for my first question, which is how do you avoid feeling it like a treadmill was to avoid burnout. And you have a whole chapter in your new book about mindset, which includes bits on burnout. And you mentioned the founder retreat. Your mm -hmm. wife's written a, a book on it because this was so fundamental to you. Mm -hmm. Are you still doing these founder retreats? Yeah, not as often as I should. Probably once a year, maybe once every other year now. I find that I need to do them when I'm at an inflection point now. And I used to be at inflection point like every year because it's like, oh my God, I have these hey, 2010. I have nine apps mm -hmm. and they're all doing this stuff. Like what's next? Certainly I can't just do this forever. I'm not even that happy. I'm kind of bored. And then it's like, I do a founder retreat and it's like, well, I'm going to go bigger and I'm going to buy a bigger SaaS app and I'm going to build a big, you know, and each of those. So it was like every year or two, I had this huge career, not a pivot per se, but a big adjustment. I find right now my course is kind of planned for the for the time being. You know, I mm -hmm. am podcast microgram tiny seed right, and I I ship those and I'm helping people and I'm happy about that. I do need personally to still do them to ask myself within what I'm doing without making a big pivot. What do I really love and what do I need to do less of? And that was where earlier when you and I were chatting, I believe it was before you hit record, but I said if I'm not in front of a microphone or I'm not, you know, recording a podcast or a YouTube video or like advising a founder about something that's pretty strategic, I feel like it's probably not the best use of my time. That came out of a founder retreat. That's a hard thing for me to say, man. I'm a grinder. I've been, I'm an mm. operator. I used to write code and do the bookkeeping and do payroll and, and stock the fridge with milk for the cappuccino. You know what I mean? Like the, I just did whatever it took. And now I need to say someone else that's not the best use of my time that feels weird i'm not above it i would do that stuff again in a heartbeat but like truly my gifting and i think i can help more people by not doing those things and that all came out of a founder retreat let's talk about some of the topics that you sent me that you can sort of expand on stuff that you've covered a lot in your writing and your book but i think would be quite interesting the first thing i guess i'm interested in 
is what you're saying about having an audience first approach is awesome for info products but dumb for SaaS. Now, this is an interesting concept because you see a lot of people embracing this building in public movement. They're wanting to build an audience because they're not too sure how they get customers. And what happens is they have this audience, which might not necessarily be right for their product, that like them, so they sign up to their product and they sort of hit a plateau or can't grow beyond what their audience is. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what you're thinking with that statement? Yeah, and it you know it really depends. Let's be honest. If I if I built an audience of three hundred thousand Twitter followers and they're a bunch of indie hackers, and then I build tools for indie hackers, can I make a living at that? Sure. Am I going to build like a great seven figure business that I can sell for you know an eight figure exit? No, not really. The churn's going to be too high. It's just it's selling to the aspiring entrepreneurs, selling to entrepreneurs. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not saying you can't make a living at it, but like I these days think about building great businesses that are seven figure ARR or higher. I think the problem is, is everyone, anyone who's good at YouTube or podcasting or social media does it, builds an audience and then says, well, everyone should do this. And it's like, but everyone's not as gifted as you are. Like, I wouldn't tell everyone to go to YouTube. It's fucking hard. It, mm-hmm. t- it took me a year to get half-ass decent at it, and I'd already done a podcast for 10 years. And in fact, if I was starting a SaaS app today, I would not do audience first. I would do SEO first, or I would do cold outreach first, or I would do integrations and partnerships first. Like, there are all these other, the, the grindy tactics that people are like, oh, I don't want to do that. I just <laughs> want to build like this new age indie hacker business. It's like, no, this is what great businesses are built on. And if you look at 151 investments, I've had SaaS companies less than 5% had an audience. I mean, does an audience help? Yes. Is it worth the time investment? Think of the thousands of hours, man. I would be worth 10 times what I am today if I had not built this audience and instead had just done SEO for Mm -hmm. 10 or 15 years. No, no doubt in my mind. Yeah, you often hear people say that some popular persons launch a SaaS and well, if only I had an audience that size, I'd also be able to do it, but I can't because I don't have the audience, whereas it can lead to false positives. And some people really enjoy building audiences and it's a fun thing to do for some, but... Then, then yeah. go do that and then figure out, you know, if you want to build an audience, go build an audience. Don't justify it, but then sell them info products first. That's going to be low-hanging fruit. You build, you sell a video course, you sell books. That's how you get to where you can quit your day job. Then if you want to build a SaaS, that's fine. It's a real leap. But, you know, it's it's possible. You mentioned in this same note, you should build your network, not your audience. What do you mean by network? Yeah, so an audience knows you. Usually it's a one-way relationship, right? parasocial, they call it, right? Where everybody knows who you are. A network is when you know each other. I view my network as anyone I can email or DM or text and either do a favor for or ask a favor from. And so when I was going to publish SAS Playbook, I sent emails to Jason Cohen, founder of WP Engine. And it isn't like, hey, Jason, I'm a startup. It was like, hey, Jason, <laughs> it was cool seeing you last month in Austin at MicroConf. I'm writing a book. Would you be willing to write a, you know, a testimonial? And he wrote the forward as well. I texted Noah Kagan. I emailed Patrick Campbell of ProfitWell, Adam Wathen of, of Tailwind Labs, because he spoke at MicroConf. We've been in touch over the years. Laura Roder, Rand Fishkin, Cortland Allen, Pell Gilzoni, right? These people are in my network. They know me. I don't have to introduce myself. It's not cold. Yeah. Well, on network, how do you find all these people? I found it very beneficial for me, but I have a podcast. You have a podcast as well where you can um, yep. reach out to these people cold and become friends that way. How does someone do it if they're just starting out? If you're just starting out, you, there's a ton of ways to do it. I know so many people without a podcast who just went to events. The people who will be famous tomorrow 
are the ones that are at the events today. And so all of these people, Jason Cohen, well, Rob, how do you know Jason Cohen? How did he let you invest in the first two rounds of WP Engine? Because he and I were both bloggers. And then he like saw my book was for sale. He bought Start Small, Stay Small, wrote me an email. Hey, I've heard of you. So now here we are 15 years later. What I'm saying is you don't have to, if you start a podcast, that's great. That's a way to do it. If you run events, <laughs> don't, don't do that. that. That's a way to do it. And I didn't realize that for several years, but like all the speakers at my events are now, you know, most of them are like big deals. Just attending events and being around people. I think Twitter is also a pretty good way to do it. I think MicroConf Connect and those types of communities, Dynamite Circle are good ways to do it. It's being in the community and, and being active. There's one thing I want to get your thoughts on, which is something that rages in this indie community, Rob, and that is this uh, portfolio of projects. This is something that you had yourself. It's an approach that a lot of people take, but it's kind of hard to scale that or to build something that is bigger than just these scattering of projects. What's your thoughts on this multiple project, single focus debate? Yeah. It depends on your goals. My initial goal was freedom. It was to quit a day job. And I talk often about the stair-step method of bootstrapping, which is don't start with a big standalone SaaS because it is fucking complicated. Instead, do something small, usually within an ecosystem, a Shopify app, a Heroku app, a WordPress plugin. Get to 1,000, 2, 3,000 a month. It's naturally plateaus. And sometimes you get to 10K and then you can quit your job. But other times you get to 3K a month. Then repeat that. That's step two until you buy out your time. And then go after the big one because now you own all your time and you have the, the luxury of being able to do it. So I obviously, even in that and in my experience, I am a person who says, oh, I like the idea of multiple products. Mm. But what I don't like is, is I don't think it's a great long-term approach. I think people will say, well, hey, it's diversification. And it's like, yeah, kind of. But when you have multiple products as someone who had a bunch, you're never paying attention to enough of them usually everything's on autopilot which means yeah. set the countdown timer to when it gets crushed by google <laughs> a competitor comes in there's something else goes wrong and it just slowly declines that's what's going to happen usually 12 18 24 months the thing's making half of what it was so autopilot doesn't really exist in our space uh, because it just moves too fast it, there's some exceptions but all that said i think if you want to build a great lifestyle where you're making 100 200 300 grand a year great it becomes a hamster wheel, but that's fine. I think most of us want life-changing wealth. I think most of us want free, permanent freedom. I did yeah. an entire talk about this where I gained temporary freedom by having this portfolio, but I was still running. And I was <laughs> at a point where I was doing 10 hours a week and it was like, I was always worried about the next one getting stomped on. I had too many irons in the fire and I got really bored. I just got bored because it wasn't ambitious enough, right? So. I think that for most people, they will travel that journey and get to the point where they're like, huh, I do want to build something bigger that maybe has a seven-figure exit or an eight-figure exit because that's where you get to permanent freedom where really, you know, nothing except for a lawsuit or the IRS could, <laughs> you know, could take that away from you. I love that comment. I got bored because I wasn't ambitious enough. Yeah. I think I, I definitely fall into this trap with a lot of things. Now, I end every episode on three recommendations, a book, a podcast, an indie hacker entrepreneur. Book. Two books. Founding Sales by Pete Kazanji. Deploy Empathy by Michelle Hansen. Both of them. I love self-published books because the founders, the founders, the authors have skin in the game. And both of these people wrote these books. They're passion 
projects, but they are also extremely, extremely helpful for founders. Podcast, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go outside of our discipline, Comic Lab. It's two comic artists who are making a living being comic artists. You think being a startup founder is hard. Imagine writing a comic and making a full-time living from it. I love it because they talk about all these entrepreneurial concepts in a yeah. very different language than we do. I listen to it every week. Don't miss an episode. Third founder, entrepreneur, indie hacker. Yeah. We're so underrated is Ruben Gomez. He's the founder of Signwell and Big BidSketch. On Twitter, he's EarthlingWorks. And he is so smart. And he's one of the best founders I know. He executes. He has thoughtful commentary. He's done freemium. He's really good at SEO. He's just one of those person who, who operates and has an amazing network. Rob, fantastic recommendations. Thank you so much for coming on this episode of Indie Bites. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Bites with Rob Walling. What a true font of knowledge and wisdom he is. Now, if you enjoyed that and do want to hear Rob's thoughts on more bootstrapping topics, a reminder the full 60-minute conversation is available on the Indie Bites membership. And a thank you again to my incredible sponsor, Email Octopus. But that's all from me. See you next week.